the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Richard Robertson, and this is Life in Colorado. to have on the show Sue Edwards, who is the Director of Community Resources Incorporated. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just get down to the basics. What is Community Resources Incorporated? Well, one could take apart the name and figure it out, but I'd be happy to share a little more richly. <laughs> okay, good. Um, we're blessed to live in a community um, that I believe supports education strongly. But there are people out there in the community who don't know how to engage in our schools, don't know how to help kids, don't know what to do. Those are the resources. So community resources for the last 48 years has essentially tapped the resources of our community to try to benefit the students and families, primarily of Denver Public Schools. Hmm. Okay. So it is for the Denver Public Schools primarily. I'd say 99.9%. We have a strong relationship with the Denver Schools. Um, they provide us with a room in which to have our offices. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in exchange, we provide programming for the students, staff, and families of Denver Schools. Mm-hmm. That way, the monies that we raise can go for programming and mm-hmm. not to pay rent custodial fees, et cetera. Well, and that's a major expense. It's huge. It's huge. Have you ever thought of expanding out to other school systems, or (laughs) is this sort of, uh, it's big enough right now? We get inquiries from other school districts, Mm -hmm. um, Aurora and Adams County, uh, saying, is is there something like this in our district? We like something like this. And to the best of my knowledge, there's nothing like us anywhere else. The thought of expansion, you know, it's sort of like Dabrowski theory. You can to to move to that level would be a huge undertaking, both financially and right. personnel-wise. And Denver Public Schools is plenty big. Two part-time people and me, and we reach 92,000 kids a year. Wow. So uh, I've, I, so I have my hands full. Okay. How long have you guys been around? Um, community Resources began in 1972, so we're entering our 48th year of service to Denver Public Schools. Fabulous. I know. All right. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy. And what kind of programs do you offer 
Oh, my friend, wait till I tell you about what we, <laughs> my favorite part. But I'll go back to the beginning. Picture 1972, which was during court-ordered integrative busing time in Denver mm-hmm. public schools. A lot of people were fleeing Denver, going to the suburbs, the schools they thought were not good places for people, not good places for kids. And two women who were teachers um, who had taken time off to raise their kids were sitting around having coffee one day, and they said, you know, there are people out in our community that have knowledge and passion about topics. Wouldn't it be great if we could get some of them to come into our schools you know, to help bring education alive? So they got in touch with one woman who was a child during Nazi Poland times. Oh, wow. Talked to her, um, and actually she still is a presenter with us. She's now in her 80s but comes and talks about what it was like to be a child during those times and see your parents killed and what war is really like. Mm -hmm. Um, They talked with a couple who marched to Selma with Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. And they come and talk about what it was like to be on the ground level Mm -hmm. or on the ground with the the civil rights movement. Um, A wonderful woman who came would come, Catherine Kawakami, who would come and do – uh, Japanese tea ceremony and introduce kids to the you know origami and the Japanese culture. So they found 30 people back then who were willing to come into the schools and talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That program, which is called Classroom Speakers, has now expanded to 800 programs. So if you're a classroom teacher in Denver Public Schools and you'd like to have someone come and talk to your kids about, I'll fill in the blank, uh, about uh, gold mining during uh, the gold rush days Mm -hmm. or about space travel or about how to write a poem or whatever the topic might be, we handle all of the arrangements to do that. So the teacher just has to say, I'd like to have someone come on uh, a Friday afternoon in March or whatever date, and we take care of arranging it. Um, So that helps. That's one of the five things that our organization does, classroom speakers. Now, do you have a list of speakers that you – Put out to the teachers as possibilities? Absolutely. We have both a printed catalog that I always joke reminds me of a a Sears robot catalog, which you can kind of leaf through and go, oh, that looks – I like that. I would never (laughs) thought of that, but that looks like something we'd like to have. And we also, of course, have an online uh, website database so that Mm -hmm. people can keyword search for fourth grade gold panning and whatever programs relate to that can come up. And then – so if they know what they want – they can go straight and okay. and request them, or they can browse through the catalog. Browse through and see yeah. what uh, see what what tickles their fancy, or my, what might fit into their whatever their lesson plans exactly. are for the moment. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, many of the schools have gone to where they um, have woven our programming into the curriculum. So it's um, as as they're studying unit on whatever X might be, they can bring in a speak support that. Good. This isn't just, okay, I'm going to bring in some fluffy something just to entertain. Although right. occasionally that's in order too. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. it's fun to have a puppeteer come in and, and entertain the kids periodically or or on a more serious note, you know, have a, a police officer come and talk about mm-hmm. things or, or whatever. It's 800 programs, a lot of wonderful people. Go back to that word community. A lot of wonderful people, a lot of richness in this community mm-hmm. that can come into the schools. And um, on that topic, kudos to the organizations that reach out from their places to come into schools. Um, Museum of Nature and Science, the zoo, other organizations like that that realize that with tight funding – we can't always bring the kids to the programming. So they've expanded their opportunities, and now some of their programming comes into the school. So it's a great partnership. Mm-hmm. I was reading about your mentorship program. Oh, Tell us about I'd, that. I'd love to. A second of the five programming areas that we do are mentorships. 
I'm going to again take a step back. You know, in this country, we can say that you can grow up to be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a free country. But if you're a child um, who comes of po- from poverty-type mm-hmm. situations, um, your dad's in jail, your mother's raising five kids and working two jobs, um, no one in your family has graduated from high school, let's just say. And yet you are a bright Mm-hmm. student, hardworking, ha- who has a dream of someday growing up to be, and again, you can fill in the blank. Um, they want to be an astrophysicist. They want to be a pediatrician. They want to be whatever it is. The chances of them getting from where they are to where they dream of being are remote. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many chasms between their current reality right. and where we say you can do it, and they can do it, but support, ergo, we have the mentorship program, the academic mentorship program, which matches those kids. The, the kid that walks home from school and picks up every rock and tries to identify whether it's, you know, um, what type of rock it is, matching them with a, current, with a geologist, someone who's working in the field, who, in essence, was that kid when they were a kid, sure. who gets it, who gets that kid's passion, and who is excited about sharing their knowledge with, with a young person that's interested in their field. And so those, I mean, the stories of those mentorships and the relationships that come from that um, can tug at your heart, but also encourage you to know that it is possible. It is possible with the right kind of partnerships. Well, And that's so important. I think mentorships, just to have somebody in a field that you're interested in and be able to talk with them and maybe show your beginning efforts in Mm -hmm. in whatever that might be, depending on the age of the person, but then have that person guide you. That is... That is so crucial. I mean, I remember that in my own life, just um, people that helped me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. in the field that I was interested in, and it was indispensable, I mean, to my education. It can make a life-changing difference. It It can. It truly can. And it makes a difference in the life of the mentor, too. I mean, it's special for the student, but it's also special for the adult. Um, I would stress that this program is for fifth grade through twelfth grade students. Okay, um, it seems most appropriate for kids that have evolved at least that. Far. Probably kids mm-hmm. have more of an idea right. of of it's it's sort of gone out of just pure fantasy to right. to I maybe mean, it's more passion. I mean, yeah, and, and the teachers when you talk to a teacher and describe the program, they go. I know the I know the kid right. that's right for that program. I mean, it, it, that connect happens, and then the great one of the great things they work together on some sort of project, and then at the end, of the conclusion of the mentorship, the student comes back to the classroom and shares their learning or whatever their product is mm-hmm. with the rest of the class. So the learning is oh, extended. Um, a young lady that did a, a mentorship out at CU Medical School built a model of a heart lung machine oh. and brought that back and showed the kids how they you know how you stop the heart or not they shouldn't stop anybody's heart but right, you know what yeah. I'm saying and um or an architecture student who builds a model of a dream home that he wanted to build for his mother um whatever the it might be it shares that learning with the rest of the class it's a tremendous and one more quick thing is that part of that program is sponsored by the Denver Rotary Foundation. Oh, okay. So kudos and hats off to them. I was going to ask, how do you run on to these people who are willing to do this? Because that's, that's so fabulous. I have Laura Kent, who's an extraordinary woman who runs that particular program, um, searches out the right person for each child. Oh, okay. Um, it's not like we have a stable of people and I we call up a teacher and say hey we've got we've got a bunch of lawyers over here do you have any kid that is interested in law and would like to do a law mentorship right 
it's absolutely the, driven the other way. Mm. The students are nominated or self-nominated, or the teacher nominates them for the program, and then we search to find someone that matches that student's areas of interest. And also, if there are other factors, I mean, it could be language issues. Um, it could be that they, the teacher thinks that that student would work better with a, a male mentor or a female mentor or whatever. So out of um, Laura does about 80 mentorships a year. I'd say each year probably 40 to 50 of the mentors are brand new people, okay. depending on the career field. The one field we don't do mentorships in, I'd have you guess, but I don't know if time would allow, is um, sports. Oh, sports. That if you're good enough at basketball to become a pro <laughs> basketball player, God knows people have there's, found you. They've discovered you. I was going to say there's probably now. plenty of opportunities for that. lots of opportunities for that. Not well, to say that mentorships aren't important in that world, too, but or it's a different It's world. certainly a lot more available to the, the average kid. Absolutely. So, so that's Well, that answers part of my, my question uh-huh. of how do teachers get their students involved in that? There's... We do presentations at staff development um, mm-hmm. throughout the district. There's, a, there's an application form at our website. And the word is spread through the teachers fifth grade and up in the district. And they know, they know about the program and they know to nominate their okay. kids. We always have more kids than we have capacity to serve. Um, and that's limited, as most of our programs are, just by resources. If mm-hmm. we had more money, we could reach more kids. Wow. Then I guess the next natural question is, how do people get involved? I mean, if they want to volunteer or or, or donate, how, how do they do that? Um, uh, electronically, nowadays, you go to a website, don't okay. you? So you go to, as the name is, communityresourcesinc.org, and there's opportunities there. There are places where you can check to volunteer um, and look at different volunteer opportunities and all of our different fields, or there is a place where you can donate to us. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I talk about resources in the community, there could be individuals who donate their time. Mm -hmm. It could be programmatic resources. Um, Denver Center for the Performing Arts donates a program or shares programming with us or whomever shares programming, or it could be financial support. Those kinds of resources, all three of those are things we need in order to make the quality stuff that we do for schools happen. It is a combination of things. It, it takes is. people hours, and it takes money, <laughs> and all those things exactly put together. Right. Yeah, Family nights, what oh, are those? What are my fa- oh, they're all my favorites, but it's one of my favorites, too. Um, between 80 and 100 evenings a year, we're out at some DPS school, mm-hmm. elementary school usually, engaging parents and kids, the whole family, in learning. So picture Stedman Elementary School. Okay. From 5.30 to 6 in the evening, we serve dinner to the families. Um, pizza, lemonade, light, light yeah. dinner. But um, partially for hospitality reasons, partially um, to break down barriers to attendance. If you're a mom who's worked all day and you come home and you fix dinner for the kids and you're tired and they say, Mom, there's a science night at school tonight. And you say, oh, my gosh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just too tired to go out again. So having... Free dinner is a motivation for some. Not having to fix dinner is a motivation for some. So from 5.30 to 6, we have a gathering time. We have activities for the kids and food for dinner. And then at 6 o'clock, programming begins. So it might be 
and I'll come back with more detail if you wish, but mm-hmm. it could be a science night, it could be a reading night, it could be a math games night, it could be a multicultural night, it could be an art night, it could be a let's get moving night or a health and wellness night. But for each of those nights, we engage parents in their kids' learning, and they have fun learning as a family. Mm-hmm. At a science night, for example, we might have um, three different centers, so we divide the families into three groups. And each group starts in a different area. One might, one area might be live animals. So we might have live uh, reptiles. Oh, okay. Um, you know, snakes and turtles and lizards and stuff. Uh-huh. Another science area might have uh, chemistry magic uh, from our era, like Mr. Wizard, mm-hmm. which, you know, some cool cryogenic kind of things. Um, another area might have a geologist that, that brings samples of different things and talks about how you get these minerals out of the ground or whatever. And then every 20 minutes, the families rotate. So in the course of the evening, the, all the families get to see and do everything. Oh, good. So those types of night try to send the message that learning is a family affair. You don't just send your kids to school and it's the teacher's job to teach. But you can learn and should can and should learn with your kids and you can have fun doing that. Right. So family nights are, are, are just a great way to engage with the community. That's an important thing to emphasize too, that it's not just the school's job to be a part of education. You know, it's got to be... That's right. It, <laughs> there's got to be at least some support at home, right? Absolutely. And you know, people. As an aside, people said to me when we first started doing these, "Now you better you better have the program first, and then serve the pizza second, because people will come and eat and then just leave." And I bet you, I've I've done over oh, thousand, maybe two thousand family nights since mm. I've been at Community Resources, and. I can think of once, maybe twice, in all of those hundreds of thousands of people that have come that came and ate and left. And maybe they had an emergency or maybe they just came for pizza. I don't know. But the families that come – Want their kids to do well. That's they great. want wanted to work well. It's it's um, yeah. It's not that they're trying to take advantage and have free pizza and then boogie out. All right, tell us about your special events. Oh, that's the program that I get to run. Okay. Um, so special events. I say to schools, dream a dream of what you'd like to have for your school, but you just don't have the time or the people to put it together. And so we create special events, and let me give you a couple of examples. Um, We create art days. And thanks to the Assistance League of Denver, we're doing um, six art days this year in Denver schools. Um, But picture an entire day where, other than lunch period, the entire school is engaged in doing different arts type of things. So at 10 o'clock in the morning, I might have 20 to 28 different artisans in the building. So the three fourth grade classes, for example, one might be doing musical theater with folks from DCPA. One room might be doing origami, um, learning how to fold origami. One might be doing African drumming. Um, uh, At the third grade, there'd be different programming. At the second grade, there'd be different programming. And then we all switch around and people get to do um, friends from chamber music come and do program, Mm -hmm. the show and tell band. Um, So the kids get to do hands-on art, they get to do music, they get to do drama, mime, lots of different things. So sadly, and I know you're no doubt aware of this, in our schools, much of that sort of thing has been pushed out as the focus in education and in our schools has become more and more test-driven. Yes. Um, The pressure of statewide testing and the the, um, pressure that's on teachers and kids to do well on the test with a capital T, capital T, the mm-hmm. test, um, lead schools to have focused more and more time on 
And literacy should be a focus, and math should be a focus, but things like science and the arts and social studies in many schools um, gets pushed out. So having an art day gives a chance to for kids to be exposed to some of those things. One of my core beliefs is that every child has at least one hot button, at least one area of passion that if they ever, ever exposed to it, that's it, you know, that kind of thing. That's the field they want to go into. That's the hobby they want to develop, whether it be in the sciences, whether it be in the arts, wherever it might be. Unfortunately, many of our kids' worlds are defined by Sixth Avenue, Colfax, Federal, Lowell. They don't know what all is out there and what's possible. Mm-hmm. So science days which are like art days, only instead of doing art activities, we do science programming. So the kids get to see, you know, geologists and astronomers and and chemists and all sorts of different, and biologists and zoologists and that sort of thing, and get to learn what those careers are like. So those are some of our special events. We coordinate science fairs where I have a cadre of real scientists who come and talk with the kids about their projects. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, okay, let's have the teachers go judge the science fair or let's, let's let the PTA or let's let the kindergarten teachers. But instead, these kids have the chance to talk with scientists about their projects to get feedback. We do career exploration. We do multicultural days. The, the, again, going back to what does the school want to have for their for their students, mm-hmm. but they just don't have time to put that whole thing together. Right. So those are special events, and they're great fun. You know, what I hear is that your whole program, it fills in some holes that maybe in our current academic environment, like music programs are no longer yeah. as big, and art programs are no longer as big, and other things – it's too bad because it's important for children to be exposed to that. Not that everybody's going to become a musician or an artist, but just to have that exposure, just to say, wow, I didn't realize that, or I found out this new thing. I mean, certainly the academics, the core Critical. are important, and, and people should come out of school knowing how to read and Absolutely. knowing basic math anyway and things like that. But. But it's important to have those other elements in your life as well. Absolutely. And, you know, if you take a look at where careers are, paying careers for the future, mm-hmm. I mean, look in the world of science and technology. That's, those companies are, are hungry for American young people to grow up and, and choose those careers and sure. go into those fields. So I'm emphasizing the sciences and trying to encourage more schools to, to have science programming and to do science fairs. Because the right. way to learn about the scientific method is not to memorize the word control right. hypothesis, those definitions, but to do an experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. My my favorite science fair. It's I think it's great when kids can come up with a science fair project, not go online and try to find some cool one, but to find a real world application. So my favorite science fair project that a, a fifth grade student did. It was Halloweenish time, and the pumpkins, the squirrels were eating the pumpkins on their front porch. <laughs> so he did his experiment on what could he do to the pumpkins to keep the squirrels from eating them. Oh my. And again, I'd have you guess, but the answer that did, or the thing that deterred them was Vaseline. That if he smeared Vaseline on the outside of the pumpkins, the jack o' lanterns, uh-huh. that the the squirrels didn't bother that jack o' lantern. So I thought, hey, well there you I go. I mean, he had a real world question. Uh-huh. He tested 
he tested various to- or substances, came up with a conclusion that Fabulous. so you could test his hypothesis at your house this year and and put some Vaseline <laughs> on your pumpkin and see see what happens. I've never had that problem, but I <laughs> no squirrels to, on your pumpkin. <laughs> at least so far. I mean, I'll, that's good to know. It's, though it's a little tip from me to you. And Sue, it's been great having you on oh, the show and uh, find out about community resources and corporate. So tell us how those who want to get involved in any way, how they get in touch with you. I would love to hear from anyone. Um, again, my name is Sue Edwards. My Our phone number is 720-423-1222. Um, or you can go to communityresourcesinc.org, and we have a website with colored pencils, colored crayons at the top. You'll recognize us, and you can contact us that way. But we'd love to have you get involved with helping our kids learn and grow and become all that they can be. We've had as our guest today Sue Edwards, who is the Director of Community Resources Incorporated. Thanks so much, Sue, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. i